Hello, and welcome to our podcast, What Makes Them Tip? Innovations that changed everything, where we hear from business leaders and entrepreneurs about the moment, insight, or inspiration that made everything possible, and ultimately pushed them over the tipping point. I'm Mike Strada, founder and CEO of Arcalea, where we inspire business change by introducing data science, formal analytics, and provide implementation from marketing. Moneyball for growth-oriented businesses, we say success is now a science. Stay with us, and at the end of the show, we'll share how you can be the next guest on one of the fastest-growing podcasts in the industry. And with that, let's get started. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of What Makes Them Tip, Entrepreneurial Innovations That Changed Everything. I'm your host, Timmy Bauer, and my guest today is Grant Botma. He is the founder and CEO of Stewardship and number one best-selling author of The Problem Isn't Their Paycheck. Grant, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me on, Tim. I'm super excited to talk to you. Let's. Um, why don't we start off with having you tell us about your uh, journey of entrepreneurship. So wide angle, you getting started as an entrepreneur. Yeah. So um, when I was 15 years old, I got a job uh, at a credit card company. And, and the only reason why I got a job that young was because uh, they had like a job fair at my high school. And I uh, didn't want to go to class that day. I wanted to go to the job fair. So I went <laughs> and they had to yeah. let us go through the job fair thing. Uh, and as part of that job fair, they had this like mock phone call. And okay. um, I did the mock phone call and I only went again to get out of class. Didn't think I'd get hired. But by the time I got home, there was a message on the answering machine for my dad. They were asking for permission to hire me at, at such a young age. So um, here I am, a 15-year-old high schooler working as a credit card collector. And all of a sudden, I, yeah, it was weird, man. There's like these adults there that like this is their job and their career and they're there eight hours a day. I'm there for maybe three or four hours after I get out of school. Um, and one of the things that I realized while there was that most of the people were trying to, uh, use persuasion or fear or sales tactics to try and get money, get people yep. to pay on their past yep. payments. And I just wasn't into that. Um, yeah. I just, you know, put myself in the shoes of the customer and, and recognize that they were going through something. And they had some experience and there was a reason why they were late. So yeah. I always on the first call would just listen to them like, Hey, what do you, what's going on? Why are you late? And I just took a lot of notes. I would never ask for, for payment on the first call. And then the second call, I would continue to build a relationship with them and say, Hey, how's it going with your job that you lost? Or, Hey, is your leg feeling better? Or, Hey, how's your grandma doing or whatever. And the next thing I know, after a period of months, my inbound phone line is ringing off the hook because once these people got money, who did they decide to pay? The guy that was nice to him, the guy that had a relationship with him. And uh, it, it worked out to be um, a really fun, little successful kind of career as a high schooler doing credit card collection stuff. So Interesting. Uh, that's when how was, I got What my year intro. was that? Oh man, I, I don't even know. I'm really terrible with dates. Uh, <laughs> so I graduated high school in 2000. So it must've been like 98-ish okay. uh, around then. Yeah. So yeah, that was, that was a while ago. And Back yeah, when I people mean, answered their phones. Yeah, back when people answer their phones, right? Text messaging was yet to be like a really exciting thing. Um, but that really got me started in, in my entrepreneurial journey. Um, I kind of did things my own way. 
And that's the heart of a lot of entrepreneurs. They, they believe that they know how to solve a solution in their own way. And they have a unique way of, of solving that. And it's going to make an impact on some people. And I was able to do that as a credit card collector and kind of grew into other areas of personal finance. Yeah, I, I did not think that I would be talking to somebody who would say that they they like grew as a credit card collector and that that's what sparked it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, we, we do, do nothing like credit card collecting now, but the way that I approached those phone calls, the way that I approached that relationship building, I think it's the, has rung true for every business owner that has success, how, right? And, how, yeah. yeah, how long did you do it for? Oh man, so I did some credit card collecting all the way up until I was about 19 years old. Um, I got recruited by a couple different agencies. You know, when you start having success and that kind of circle is small and they ask you to go, go work for them. And that actually what led to my job into the mortgage world. Um, I was about 19 years old and, uh, you know, an owner of a mortgage company was hearing about the success I had as a credit card collector and converted me over to, to come work in the mortgage world. So yeah, that was crazy. And that was right before 9-11. Uh, and then just after 9-11, the economy kind of goes crazy and mortgage interest rates go way down. And it was just a very weird timing to be in the world of finance at that time. Yeah. Okay. So tell me about like what happened between then and stewardship and how you started stewardship. So I was going to college while I was working as a mortgage loan originator. And um, I just recognized that there was a lot of people in the industry, even some of my coworkers that were doing anything and everything they could to make as much money off of each customer as possible. Like that was their end goal. How can I make as much money off of this person as possible? And what that meant was they were putting people into financial products or services that weren't best for them. And as we know from history, that's what a lot of mortgage people were doing and it kind of yes. fell apart, right? Um, and that led to one of the recessions that we had when the housing bubble crashed. And I just hated that. I didn't like it. And I, didn't, and I, I just it wasn't about it. And uh, when I was going to school, um, I recognized and realized, yeah, money's a big deal. Um, I was reading a lot of the Bible. I was going to a Bible college at the time. And, and there I found that, you know, money is talked about a lot in the Bible more than, than heaven or hell. And as a result, we probably need to figure out how to manage our money. And I wanted to create a place where I could help people manage their money in the best way possible, whether they knew it or not. And I created this really cool, big old business plan about not just mortgage companies, but all, all areas of finance. And I presented it to my boss and my boss was like, hey, that's really cool, Grant. I like this. But the way that you've put it together, uh, it's not going to make me a whole lot of money. So I'm not going to do that. And I said, okay, that's fine. Uh, I'm going to do it on my own then. And that's what I did. I started my own business right after that. How, what, how difficult was that? How difficult was it to start it? And how hard was it getting it off the ground? You know, I think uh, like most successful entrepreneurs, I had the ability to um, just grab the bull by the horns and control things and work hard and grind and and have a little bit, bit of success. It was really tough uh, just economically because right before starting it, that's again when the housing bubble bursted and everything changed in uh, the mortgage world. So that was kind of weird. But because I think I was doing things quote unquote, the right way and doing my best to treat customers well, put myself in their shoes, put their needs ahead of my own. My business grew and it was great. Um, but it wasn't long before I kind of hit one of my biggest issues um, as a business owner. And I think a lot of entrepreneurs face and that's when it comes to managing people and trying to scale. Man, I, I really struggled there. 
Yeah. What was the biggest, uh, what were the biggest problems? Well, actually, before I ask you that question, let me ask you this one. What, uh, what's interesting or innovative about the way that your company works? Yeah. So it, it sounds altruistic and sounds, uh, oh, that sounds neat, Grant. Like, yeah, you put your customers first, but no, we, we do that not just in the way that we um, talk, but in everything that we do in the way that our companies are set up in the way that we're licensed and the way that we work with our vendors, every contract, everything that we have is with the customer in mind first. We sacrifice our commissions. We sacrifice our income. We sacrifice a ton of money, um, especially compared to people in the finance world that are doing stuff similar to us. We don't make as much money as them because we're doing anything and everything that we can to be a genuine fiduciary, put the customer's needs first. Yeah. Um, and and uh, that that is a, a big, big deal, a huge reason for, for some of our success. I think that's, in the financial world, innovative enough. Um, but really, what in order to be successful with that, you have to be efficient. You have to create technological pieces, systems, processes, automations um, to make sure that, you know, one person can do as much work as three, four, or five people, right? And um, that requires a lot of hard work and innovation to, to get to that place as well. Yeah. We were talking earlier about the tipping point of success for you and how that's related to a big major failure. So let's just mm-hmm. go ahead and dive into that. What was the big major failure? Yeah. I sucked at managing people. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, I, again, I, I, I said, I you know, you know, you're, when you're a good entrepreneur, a business owner, you know how to grab the bull by the horns, control a situation and just make stuff happen. But when you're a good manager or leader or business owner of, of people, you have to be able to let go and you have to really start trusting people and you have to allow people to work in a way that's maybe not exactly the same way you work. Yeah. Under your framework, but, but let them be them. And uh-huh. uh, you, you can't, you can't micromanage. You can't do some of those things. And I, and I did when I, when I, when I first started and all I was really doing, honestly, Tim was just copying what was in the management books that were given to me in college. And I, and I, I did all those things and they just didn't work. And the next thing I know, I'm sitting around with no employees and I am- Everybody quit? Yeah. Or you fired I'm, them? <laughs> no, no. Like they're, they're basically everyone quit. I'm sleeping on the couch trying to get all the work done because I am I believe I'm the only one who can do oh, it in okay, the right okay. way, in my way. And it, it was just, it was rough. It was rough. Um, and eventually I had to, to learn to let go. And I had to learn- man, what really motivates people? How can I get people to perform at high levels? And uh, I, I just decided, you know what? I'm going to get good at this. I'm going to scale. I'm, I'm going to put things aside for several months. And I just dove in head first, everything that I had into studying people and trying to become an anthropologist of sorts or social science of, of sorts and figure out what motivates people and how people's brains work and and um, and apply that to managing people and um that's, yeah. that was, yeah, that was a process. What was that rock bottom, uh, like, and what made you think, oh, the solution to this is I'm going to get really good at understanding how people think. Um, one of my employees was unbelievable. He was very, very, very good at his job. And beyond that, he was extremely trustworthy and a wonderful human being. Um, and losing him when he quit that hurt. Like it hurt a lot because I put a ton of time, energy, and effort to develop him. But not only that, a lot of my business was dependent upon his performance because he was so good at his job. Um, but the problem was I was motivating him incorrectly. And I thought that, you know, money was the thing that motivated people and that was all that they needed. 
And I sure was paying him very well, but eventually he still left. And the reason why he left was he wanted to go be a missionary with his wife in Thailand to fight sex trafficking. And there's all kinds of different reasons why they did that. Yeah, so awesome. And and it was hard for me not to support that. Um, But the truth is, I had to realize like what, like in my head, I'm like, man, this, what does this guy know what he's giving up, you know? And really one of the things he was giving up that he didn't know is that his job, the way he did it and how he did it was making an unbelievable positive impact on real people every single day. And I did a poor job as a leader and as a manager bringing a purpose to his work. I was Mm -hmm. unable to clearly communicate to him that his job mattered and his job made the world a better place. I'm not saying if I didn't do that, he wouldn't go back to be a missionary, but here we are, you know, over 10 years later and he now has finished his time over in Thailand. He is back working for me and his experience as an employee now is completely different than what it was before. Because when I, when I decided to study some people and, and study people as a whole and I decided to motivate differently. Yeah. And I take it, I'm not wrong in thinking that we're now getting into the content of your book. The problem isn't their paycheck, how to attract top talent and build a thriving company culture. Yeah. 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 And and really the, that's what the book was about. It It's that recognition that that story, that understanding that money isn't the thing that motivates people. Sure. It's important, but study after study, after study, after study proved that it's basically the fourth most motivating thing in the Interesting. world. What are yeah. the other three? And, well, the three things that are more motivating than money is autonomy, freedom. People want to have freedom in, in their yes. work and in their life and be able to control certain portions of it. Yes. Um, that's a huge motivating factor. That's, that's one, one of the reasons, reasons we want money is be, we're trying to make enough money so that we can, well, at least for me personally, trying to make you money to it. be autonomous. Yes. Yes. You got it. That's the point of, of the book too, is that money leads to many of these other motivating factors. And, and one of them is freedom and to have autonomy in your life. Um, the other one is affirmation. People want to know if they're doing it right. People want to know if they're doing it wrong. People want to become a master of a craft. They want to grow and develop. It's why people will randomly pick up the guitar and decide that they want to start playing. It's the reason why people love rewards and recognition and 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 want to grow their influence on social media. It's it's people love that affirmation. We're we're motivated by that, which is another reason why sometimes people want money so that they can buy the big house or the big car. So everybody says, "Look at me!" Right? Um, it's it's affirmation is an extremely motivating thing and it's more motivating than money. And I, and I wasn't weaving those things intentionally into my management. I wasn't yeah. weaving freedom. I wasn't weaving affirmation into it. Uh, and more importantly, I wasn't weaving the number one motivating thing, which I talked a little bit about, which was purpose. Uh, that the work that that is being done is, is making an impact on real people's lives and, and it's making the world a better place. Um, and, and what can transcend that and take it to the next level is when there's a purpose that unif- is unified together with a group of people, a community of people on the same mission together, that when they come into the office, they sacrifice together to serve people together. And that is extremely motivating. So how does somebody weave into, uh, you said, well, I wasn't weaving these things in to motivate people. Uh, practically, how does someone do that if they're a leader? Well, the first thing you have to do is create your purpose. Now, I'm not saying this means you go up to a cabin with the rest of the executives and you write down a mission statement and vision statement. Like we've all done that, right? The problem is when you get back down from the cabin and you talk about it with everybody else, it's these grandiose statements with $30 words that nobody understands or can repeat. What you need to do is come up with a simple 
little phrase or statement that becomes big. So at Stewardship, we love people through finances. That's what we do. We love people through finances. And the reason why we do that is because if you do not get loved through your finances, if somebody's taking advantage of you with your money, that will impact your marriage. The number one cause of divorce is money fights. That will impact your relationship with your kids because you have to work a ton. That'll impact your ability to be uh, generous and philanthropic and make an impact on the community. I can go on and on and yeah. on. And yeah. I build these stories from this mission. We love people through finances. And when we do that, that makes an impact on the world and your job matters because of the things that you do do that. So yep. it starts with yep. that, but then you got to appoint everything else to that. Yeah. So how do you do that? <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, you, when you're talking about freedom, uh, let's just go there. My uh, place of employment, it's really unique. Uh, my employees can come and go as they please quite literally. Like they can work from anywhere. I, I give them all the things that they need to work from anywhere, uh, That whether it be the technology, whether it be the resources, whether it be desks at home, it doesn't matter. You come and go as you please, because all I care about is that you do the mission. You love people through finances. And I trust you to be a big girl or a big boy to be able to love people through finances. So you can come and go as you please and have the freedom that you want. You can watch Netflix when you work. I don't, I don't care. Um, just as long as we're completing the mission, right? So when you have the purpose, you can then give freedom that points to that mission, such as the type of freedom that you want to provide to your team. I'm not saying everybody needs to have that much freedom with their team. It works for me, but it might not work for you and your leadership style or your purpose, right? Yeah. It also goes to affirmation. Hey, you want to affirm your team. Listen, when when I see, this is this is a huge thing that all managers and leaders can do. When you are introduced to a friend, a family member of your employee, ignore your employee for a moment, go directly to that friend or family member and say, do you know how awesome Susie Q, this employee is? This employee is unbelievable at what they do. They do X, Y, and Z really, really well. I'm so impressed with them. I absolutely love out of my team. And here's why it's cool. Because when they do X, Y, and Z, it leads to A, B, and C for people in our community, which is a wonderful, wonderful thing. And you talk about that purpose and that affirmation to that other person, but the employee gets to experience it, right? That's just one of many intentional things that you can do as a manager or leader to give affirmation that points to a purpose that takes things to a whole new level. I mean, Tim, so great. Has, so good. Have you, I mean, have you ever, uh, I mean, are you in a relationship with somebody? Do you, do you yes. have a girlfriend? Or, okay. <laughs> yeah, All right. Yeah. So do they, do they listen to this podcast? Uh, well, the podcast isn't live yet, but they will when it goes live. Okay. But so the, the reality is this, they have no idea how maybe good or bad you are at your job or what you do. <laughs> I'm right? very blessed. She, yeah. she, sometimes she'll just literally like, listen to me record with people. <laughs> oh, see that that's huge. That's huge. So even though that she's listening, she doesn't know about the impact that it has on other people because she doesn't get to hear the conversations that people have after the conversation with you, right? Yeah. After yeah. the podcast with you. Yeah. But yeah. what's her name? Uh, her name is Nicole. Okay. Nicole, I'm going to have a message for you right now. I do a lot of these podcasts and what I received from Tim leading up to this podcast to prepare me for this was next level. I have never received anything like this leading up to a podcast before ever before, which means Tim cares. He cares about me and the success that I have on this podcast, but he cares about the audience, which is crazy. Nicole, I want you to know that Tim is awesome at his job. 
Yeah, like, that's that a big freaking deal. works, Grant. <laughs> I can feel but it. It's, but I'm not making it up. This is all I true. Know. I this know. This is all true. But this is really and, good practical advice. Yeah, and this this affirmation that you're receiving is way bigger, way bigger than a paycheck, way bigger than a bonus, you know? Yeah. Oh, man, super great. Uh, Grant, uh, there's one other question I wanted to ask you, and that's just, so we've talked about tipping points and we talked about success and failure. What's a problem that you're currently still today beating your head against trying to solve, hoping, some something maybe that you're hoping for a tipping point about? Um, I recently decided that although our company is having a lot of success lately, um, and it's mostly locally here in Arizona, I've decided we're not going to go national. Okay. And the 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 problem that I'm that I'm trying to solve is how do I take the impact that we're doing here at Stewardship, and how can I help even more people, not just in our society but in our country as a whole. And I thought that I had to do that by taking my company national and becoming this big conglomerate. And 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 really, this was a a problem that I, that that I was trying to solve. And I think I think the answer is going to be just helping other small businesses, hmm. help other small businesses, especially finance companies. Um, copy, paste, guides, resources, step-by-step things, coaching to get to a yeah. place where they can do and become a version of what stewardship is, but in their own community. Why do so the you problem think, was yeah. how do I multiply it, right? And and I think maybe this is this is the way to go. Why are you thinking that? Um, there are different uh, problems, issues whenever your company turns in goes it evolves from a small business to a large business. Yeah. And the level of impact that you're able to have on on a consumer is is very different. And I believe in small business uh, quite literally. Um, I I am a Christian. I I have a relationship with Jesus, and I believe that there's no greater ministry on the planet than small business ownership. But take that away, you don't have to have faith to know that small business is the heartbeat of America and our commerce and our society and everything else that's happening. I strongly, strongly believe in compassionate capitalism, and I want to help other people become better capitalists um, and become better business owners. Because when you can lead a team of people, yes, to give them a paycheck, but now give them a purpose, give them something to wake up to do give them pride, give them affirmation, help them to get better at something. Now they've become a completely different member of society and they're able to make a much better impact on their family and the other people around them. And uh, I want to try to multiply that as much as we can. That is so cool, Grant. Thank you so much for being on this podcast. How can listeners connect with you? Yeah, uh, Instagram's probably the best way, man. I'm, I'm showing up there every day. I'm on stories, at uh, Grant Botma is where you can find me. Also on Twitter, at uh, Grant Botma. I'm uh, posting and talking and doing stories about business ownership, leadership, management, finances, um, parenting, all that stuff, even uh, every, every day. So yeah, Twitter or, or Instagram at Grant Botma. Those are the places to find me. Great. Nicole, we'll uh, see you there. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Thanks for being on the show, Grant. Yeah. Happy to be on. Thank you, Tim. Thank you for listening to our show, What Makes Them Tip, Innovations That Changed Everything. If you're an entrepreneurial leader and you'd like to share the inspiration that changed everything in your business or venture, please visit arkalea.com slash guest and a small request. If you've liked this interview, please help us out by sharing this episode with a friend or on social with the hashtag Arkalea. You can also help us out right now by providing a review in your podcast player and a thumbs up or rating review would help a ton. We promise to read every word and it helps us improve a little bit each day. And while you're at it, please also subscribe 
because every week you're going to be inspired and learn from other leaders in bite-sized increments. Again, my name is Mike Strada. Let's connect either on social or stay up to date on all things business at arcalea.com. Thanks again for listening and thank you for being part of the over 99% of America's firms that make up the entrepreneurial community. Until next time.